Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as a huge fan of football. That's the one where everyone's carrying sticks, right? But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is an old friend of mine, actually, from the Washington Post, Mark Leibovich. He is the chief national correspondent now for the New York Times Magazine, and he's author of a new book called Big Game, The NFL in Dangerous Times. I am so thrilled to have you here. I am so glad to be here. And we have so much to talk about. We have besides sports ball. Uh, we, you know, I want to talk. I do want to talk about the tech element and everything else of it. Sure. But I want to explain how you got to this. And what's so interesting is that you had a piece in the New York Times uh, just this weekend of about the sort of the conflagration between the NFL and the president. So it sort of hits all your buttons essentially. Yes. It, it was my world's colliding. Colliding, exactly, which you talked about, which I thought was fascinating. And I actually also quoted you in a, in a column I did for the New York Times this week when you had an interview with President Trump about social media. We're going to take my social media away. Oh, did he say that? He did yes, say that. It's at the yes, bottom of the column. Did. Look at it. I yes. remember that. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I had, I had yes. to check that out. It was now. a great quote. It's a really great quote. Anyway, let's talk about this book. So, first, let's talk about your background. You you and I met at the Washington Post. Well, I think you were at the journal then. I was, I was just like a newbie to technology. I just mm-hmm. came from San Jose. Did you work for I worked for the Merck for three years, and because my stories had, like, um, job titles and Mm -hmm. company names, Mm -hmm. like David Ignatius, who was then the AME for business, who you you knew, Mm -hmm. or I I think you worked for him, he seemed to think that I was a business and tech reporter, which he made me, I was like the Washington, one of the Washington-based people Mm -hmm. who did that, um, but it was clear that, you know, I, I mean, I... It's, I, I was not. I was more of a general assignment reporter right. in San Jose, and that's sort of what I morphed into. And then eventually, I moved over to politics and the style. So your cycle. tech, your, your tech career did not it, it last. Did, as you know, long it lasted four. No, it, I cut out after four years. Yeah. And, uh, so what was, was your fine. big story? What was your big giant Washington? In, let's see. As far as in D.C. In or for, as a tech. Well, I, I, hold, I did a whole – they let me take a year to sort of do a whole bunch of deep dive profiles on like Jeff Bezos and Larry Ellison and Steve right. Case who was then still at AOL and, and Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer and John Chambers. So it, I actually had some pretty deep divey profiles of them and I got to know them a little bit back in their kind of – I guess it was Prime. 1999, sure. 2000. That was a good time. It got me – yeah, and it got me out of Silicon Valley a lot, which I, I'm always happy to do. And Seattle. But then you moved on to politics. I moved on to politics. I don't know why, but I felt like, you know, I was Well, that's what in, you do at the Washington it's Post. It's what you do at the Washington Post. You're living you – know, That's why I left. If you're in Orlando, you cover Disney World, right? I mean, it's right. like if you're at the circus, you want to perform with the animals. So. Right. And Styles had a couple of political jobs open, and that looked fun. And I grew up, you know, not here, but I when I was just getting into journalism at the Boston Phoenix, I used to steal the Style section because they got the post every day. It was like in the late '80s or early '90s, and I would just read them at lunch, and mm-hmm. I just wanted to work there. Yeah, so. you know, that's when I was an assistant there. Oh, it was, I, I was those a, were the days. So wait, so you were there? In I, I the did late, a lot of things at the Washington Post. I delivered mail there, my friend. Ugh. Yeah, no, no, it, it was, um, yeah, those are good days. Anyway, so I never really left politics after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved to the Times in 2006, moved to the Times Magazine in 2012, and I wrote a book in 2013 called This Town, which right. was about basically the empire of Washington during when it seemed like the Capitol and the Hunger Games was just sort of getting too fat and happy. Started and off with a funeral. Started out with Tim Russert's funeral, mm-hmm. yes. Um, actually, the, the next book might have to start it. John McCain's. Uh, I'm yeah, actually going, yeah. I'm going. Are you doing another this time? No, there are no plans for right. that. Okay. Right now, I'm just trying yeah. to get through I the do. big game. But yeah, I, I think that there but is. But this time was important. I mean, when you wrote it, a lot of people thought, oh, my God, his career is over in politics because you really burned some. I burn bridges all the time and it doesn't seem to bother my career. But I, I, in Washington, it, it certainly felt like <laughs> that. It was funny. I remember I was writing that and I was thinking as I was sort of fact checking it and sort of going back at some people saying, by the way, uh, I'm writing this, I'm writing it. And just seeing the defensiveness and seeing just the siege mentality and, and the how dare you. I was thinking, God, what can I actually write this? Like, mm-hmm. is this actually going to end my career? Because that's yeah. what people are threatening and, and it's entirely likely I'm pissing off a lot of sacred cows and, and yep. people who, you know, have been getting along for a long time. And, and as it happened, I mean, the opposite happened. I mm-hmm. mean, it was like people kind of secretly agreed and mm-hmm. they said, and by the way, you didn't hear this from me, but you should check out X and Y. Right, you, so, you talked that a lot, yeah. Yeah, it was a very – it was a really weird anthropology in a way that sort of confirmed the premise of the whole book. So, so I, you you were writing essentially about, like I do, a lot of rich white guys essentially. A lot of rich Was- white guys. In Washington, yeah. yeah. And a lot of characters in mm-hmm. the same sort. And again, there, the analogies between – the NFL and Washington right. and Silicon Valley and Hollywood, you know, right. bubble worlds, right? Bubble sure. worlds can just, ri- is, 
lousy with money, lousy with a lot of rich white people. Mm. Um, people insecure. You know, insecure. Yes. I mean, everyone has an empire. They think that they run the place. I mean, everyone in Washington thinks they run the place, right? Right. Um, so, but here you are writing these political pieces. Like you just wrote about Paul Ryan. You wrote about like these big, long political pieces, and that book was sort of the greatest hits of. Mark, but you continue to do that. How, explain how you got in the NFL. You, the last big one, uh, political one, I think, was Paul Ryan, right? Yeah, that was. I did that a few weeks ago, yeah. and yeah, I mean, I'm my, politics is my beat. I mean, it's right. what I do. It's my day job, and like, for some reason, I'm still covering it, and and I like covering it. So, I essentially a few years ago got. I just sort of said, I need a little break from this. I just I love football. I've always loved football. Mm-hmm. Football did seemed you play to be football. Pop Warner. I right. mean, I played in the backyard. I, yeah. I played soccer. But not, you weren't a football school. player. No, I was not a football player. You just but were a fan. No, I was a total fanboy. Grew up in New England, so I, you know, I was a Patriots fan, and everyone hates us, and especially now, so whatever. Sorry about that. But I decided that football, the NFL, like, again, like Silicon Valley, like Washington, seemed like there had been a tipping point, and there was a sort of mingling of prosperity, intense prosperity, with precariousness. And mm-hmm. it just seemed very nervous. And people started throwing the words like existential around. Mm-hmm. And I decided that I would sort of look into that swamp. So right. it's just there's a, there's only, you know, there are swamps in this country. Right. And the NFL is a big one, just like Washington was. And, and I want to do sort of escape from politics because, I mean, the last campaign was really starting to bum me out mm-hmm. after, you know, not a long period of time. And I realized, was it in the midst of the campaign? Um, I sort of jumped. I did a Tom Brady profile and a Roger Goodell profile in 2015 and 16. So, you know, I sort of stepped up. And this was just because you were interested. I was interested. I had some material. I sort of said, this is a world I'd like to see more of. And so, yeah, it was it was essentially – I mean, I was doing the, the book and my day job, you know, concurrently. But I realized that you can't escape politics from mm-hmm. in football. I mean, between Trump's making himself the center of this season and, you know, he, him wanting to be part of the story and just the politics of the NFL and, and just, you know, rich people fighting with each other. So, so, so what was your goal with this book? You, so you full-time started writing about the NFL itself as, and what was the idea? Because there's been lots of sports books, right? There's yeah, been a zillion. absolutely. NFL. No, I had no idea what to expect. I'm not mm-hmm. a sports writer. I don't know these people and I have history with these people. Mm-hmm. I didn't think Which I'd Which is get, critical. I mean, I think your, I your thought, profiles benefit from your well, little yeah, relationships, right? But as a practical matter, I didn't think I was going to get led into the club. I didn't think mm-hmm. I was going to get any access. Um, I got great access. I have no idea why. I mean, Roger Goodell talked to me two or three times. I mm-hmm. mean, Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, three times. Brady, Jerry Jones. I mean, like a lot of the, you know, the big yeah, owners. You and Jerry Jones had a good time. We had a good time. I don't remember much of We're it. We're going to talk my, about that. My tape recorder remembers yeah. all of it. But um, yeah, so I, for some reason they let me in. I think some of them right now are <laughs> realizing that the book comes out that not that they've been burned, but they realize, oh, you know, maybe this guy isn't just sort of like the friendly kind of outsider Sports that writer. we thought. Maybe he's not the friendly. They're all used to a certain level of deference. They're mm-hmm. used to being called Mr. So-and-so. And also we, not writing about the things they're saying. Clearly. Right. Yeah, there, there's a big expectation that you're going to take care of me on this, right? Right, and yeah. You, know, you weren't going to take care of that. I, I, you know, I was noncommittal in the moment, mm-hmm. and when it come, came time to write a book, I wanted to tell the truth. And so, obviously, so I what was your goal when you went into the book itself? What was your conceptual idea of the NFL and how that changed? Basically, what the last one was, which is to write the book, and hopefully by the end, I'll know what, it's, what it was about. Oh come on! No, I my it was. I wanted to look at the empire. I wanted I, originally. I was thinking about writing a Tom Brady book because I love Tom Brady and I loved getting to know him, and I thought he was really interesting. That hit a wall partly because he's really busy, and partly because I just didn't think that he could sustain mm-hmm. um, a book. I mean, right. I don't think maybe a couple of chapters, but no, I, I just think that this is the great spectacle of American life in many ways. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at the top like seventy seven rated TV shows in America of, of 77 of the top 100 rated TV shows in America last year were NFL games. Mm-hmm. You, you see astounding numbers like that every year. I mean, the money they print, the level of popularity, what the franchises are going for, people love. It, it's, I mean, the NFL is like a drug lord and football is like crack. It's mm-hmm. like, and we're, and it's a country of crack addicts. And having said that, there are fault declining. lines. Yeah. It's declining. Right. And there is great awareness about the physical toll of it. Mm-hmm. There's any number of people who are not letting their kids play. Kara Swisher. Kara Swisher being one of them. Very clearly. Very clearly. And you have what you see that here is sort of the My contra- kids really wanted to play, and they are kind of beefy football really? players. How old, how old are they? 16 and 13. They play lacrosse. You know what? Lacrosse is a great game. Mm-hmm. You've got to be careful there, too. I, I agree. Yeah. I had to draw a line somewhere, but football no. was definitely it. 
Football, it, it, it's, I'm glad I have daughters. I didn't have to make that decision. But you do see the contours of the same kind of coastal versus heartland debate. And, I mean, Trump's one of the few public people who has critiqued football from the right. He mm-hmm. is sort of on the campaign trail said, this, is, this game has become soft. It is permissive of political correctness, which oh, is why they let Colin Kaepernick kneel and mm-hmm. all these ingrates who should leave the country. Take um, off the helmets. Talk, take off the helmets. Seriously, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a real it's a real sort of football coach's mentality perpetrated in his case by kind of like mm-hmm. the fake tough guy, right? Someone right. who's never played football and probably right. wouldn't fare that well on the field. Mm-hmm. So I um, – you do see a lot of the same culture war elements that you do versus – you know, in the coastal bubble of the mm-hmm. media that missed the Trump phenomena versus, you know, the people that elected him versus the coastal bubble people like you and me who live on the – you know, live yeah, on the coast in the in. media. It's I think it might. It's I mean, seep in like tofu did. They're going to be eating tofu and their eating chipotle. Tofu in, in they like do. in the middle of it's Pennsylvania at their Friday night well, lights. Well, they games. eat a lot of things they didn't think they were going to eat. In Maybe. any case, it's anyway. going to seep in when their children lose their minds. Um, probably, but it, yeah. So anyway, I, that's where I came from. It. I, I love the game. I wanted to sort of see what it was like up close. Mm-hmm. The results are, you know, they're in big games. So one of the things that you did in the book, which I think is really interesting, is what I thought was interesting, and it made me think a lot as a reporter, is that when you're when you're a, a reporter of an area like tech for me or politics like that, you do make trade-offs all the time, little information no trade-offs, access trade-offs, things that you salt away for another day, things mm-hmm. that you know that you couldn't print right then and you Absolutely. don't for good reason. In this case, I thought, wow, he just he could just not the whole time. And you actually did that several times in that you had, you reprinted conversations about access, about mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, which I thought was super interesting. It was it was a real luxury not to have to go back into this world. I mean, when I was writing this town, I was always, I had in the back of my mind, you know, I do have to deal with these people again. And mm-hmm. and again, which is not to say that I'm burning anyone. I mean, you right. know, ground rules are ground rules. And if something's right. off the record, I'm going to honor that no matter, you know, where you're working. But um yeah. It, it, I mean, this town was tricky because I did not have the luxury of being a foreign correspondent who could just swoop in and then and, leave. And then leave. Um, this is more like that. And um, it was fun because these guys are really puffed up. So, so tell me the kind of takeaways that people should have from the book. And then I, uh, in the next section, we'll talk a little bit more specifics where football's going. Yeah. I mean, one takeaway and, and I mean, I don't really want this to be sort of the gloom and doom football book. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my love of football does sort of endure. I mean, which is not to say that the Cognitive dissonances are not very, very mm-hmm. strong and very, very, you know, uh, growing. I think the game will survive. I'm not one of these people like Malcolm Gladwell that says it's not going to be, you know, we're not going to recognize it in 25 years. I think it will survive, but I think it'll survive because of the greatness of the sport and a lot of the players in it, but in spite of the people who uh, run it and own it. Mm-hmm. This has. So talk a little bit about those people. I think it's – the NFL, you could argue, is maybe the second or third biggest entertainment entity in the country, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, say maybe Disney's number one. I mean, maybe Apple, AT&T. I mean, you know, you Mm -hmm. can just – like there's a whole group that you would just sort of put right at the top. But the NFL has got to be two or three. Um, Which people don't think that. People don't think that. But you have 32 people, many of them just really motley and not people you'd want running your businesses, who are are these magnates who, you know, Jim Irsay is the king of Indianapolis and uh, Martha Ford, who's this 93-year-old, you know, matriarch of the Detroit Lions. I mean, these are not like great, innovative, forward-looking thinkers. But if you're putting together a board of Apple or mm-hmm. or Disney, you wouldn't pick any of these guys. If you were mm-hmm. looking for a CEO of these companies, you wouldn't pick Roger Goodell. Mm-hmm. And yet Roger Goodell, you know, has this job because his job is to keep, you know, not however many millions of shareholders happy or however many millions of fans happy or however many thousands of players happy. It's to keep 32 owners happy, mm-hmm. 32 really rich, really needy owners happy. And he does that by basically just calling them and telling them, you know, just taking care of them and making them a lot more money, which right. when you own a monopoly is not – and in a football-loving country has proven to be you know, pretty easy. Pretty easy and still making the kind of money that it always did or less. Oh, no. Their revenues are through the roof. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Carolina Panthers, you know, their, their owner, Jerry Richardson, was disgraced for some, you know, serial sexual harassment. You know, one of the more influential owners in the league, you know, a couple of years ago, he flames out. He's basically forced to sell the team. Um, which he bought in 1993 for something like $175 million, and he sold it for $2.2 billion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's sort of 
that's his disgrace, right? But right. yeah, and Fox threw however many billions of dollars at these you know shitty Thursday night games they put on, mm-hmm. and so yeah, those indicators are the ones, right? I right. mean, they're making so much money, and Goodell says they want to make twenty five billion dollars a year in revenue every year by twenty twenty five or something mm-hmm. like that. So. Look, I mean, they are making money, but those empires can crumble pretty quickly. Right. I think, I mean, what's interesting in this sort of the Silicon Valley <laughs> parallel <laughs> is, I mean, Roger Goodell's favorite saying, and you hear this with a lot of the executives mm-hmm. in here, is only the paranoid survive. It's the, well, that's it's Andy, the Andy Grove, Grove thing, right? <laughs> but they, here's the thing. Andy Grove meant it from what I, my reading of that was be vigilant. That's right. Be a bastard. Just like you yeah. just look around the corner. Just You just never yeah. know. You can't relax. In the NFL— It wasn't out of weakness. It was not out of weakness. In the NFL, right. you sense it's out of weakness. You, mm-hmm. you sense, it, sense it's out of fear. You sense mm-hmm. it's it's defensive. It's just like, okay, well, what's going to hit us next? And um, we don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to have to react to it, and we don't know what we'll do. We'll f- sort of muddle through. Mm-hmm. That's sort of how I hear the NFL's adaptation of that phrase. All right. We're here with Mark Leibovitz. He is the author of a new book called The Big Game, The NFL in Dangerous Times. We're going to talk about this dangerous times act. He's also a reporter for the New York Times. When we get back, we're back with Mark Leibovich. He's the author of a new book called The Big Game, The NFL in Dangerous Times. What do you mean by that? I want to know what your subtitle means. It means that the NFL is very nervous. Mm-hmm. They think that the like whole, you were talking paranoid. The paranoid. They think that the golden goose could just be slipping so away. So tell us how that could be. It could be any number of ways. It could be that, you know, all of a sudden you reach a critical mass of people who decide that it's just morally wrong to watch football and their numbers just— Because just, of the damages. Because of the damages or because it's boring or mm-hmm. because it's— or because Bob Donald, Costas says that, right? Bob too. Costas says that. Oh, yeah, any number of people. Tom Brady's dad says he wouldn't let his kids play football or have to think right. twice about it. And Barack Obama said the same thing. I mean, right. some football—I mean, you know, Troy Aikman, I think, said the same thing. I mean, a number of, like, football players have said that. So that's out there, and I think— So damages. A damage. But also for my political point, I mean, the left has been very, very suspicious of football for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, for its violence, for its sort of over-the-top patriotism, for mm-hmm. the sort of what many on the left perceive to be outdated notions of manhood and right. sort of military sort of culture there. We're getting into robot football at the end, but go ahead. I, I would hope. But yeah. no, the— um, Oh, we're getting there. But Donald Trump has like really turned a good portion of the right against the NFL. So talk about that. So he started—he's always wanted to own an I remember he owned he something in New Jersey. He owned the, the New general. Jersey General in, I guess, the USFL in the 80s. Whatever. It was the, it was, a, it was sort of an up-and-coming rival league of the NFL. Which never worked. A lot of money was thrown into it. didn't work. Trump was one of the reasons it didn't work because he just paid these exorbitant salaries to these very high-profile college players like Doug Flutie and Herschel Walker and, and everyone else, you know, was just sort of bankrupted themselves trying to keep up. And then Trump, after three years or two years, however many years it was, wanted to just, like, he didn't want to be the spring league. They played in the spring. He wanted to play, he wanted to have their games in the fall because they could compete with the NFL. No one thought it was a good idea, but Trump was sort of had outsized influence and they did it and the thing just spiraled. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Trump's original plan there was to hope that the league was so successful that they would merge into the NFL and that would be his way in. Mm -hmm. Subsequent to that, he's tried repeatedly to get, to buy teams and you know, the owners, I think, over a whole different generations of owners haven't given him the time of day. And because? They think he's a clown. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think most of them, I mean, they might agree with him politically, and seven owners gave him about a million dollars to his inauguration mm-hmm. and are friends with him. I mean, in that same sort of billionaire camaraderie, sort of camaraderie kind of mutual like star fucker kind of thing. Yeah. It's, I mean, you have, I'm sure you see the yeah. same thing in tech yeah. with CEOs. But they need to see their books. They need mm-hmm. to see these people, if they can pay for these very, very, very expensive teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, Trump's last foray into this was 2014 when he tried to buy the Buffalo Bills. Mm-hmm. Um, he lost out to Terry Pagula, who has, is, a, I guess, a fracking mandate, uh, magnate in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. He got the bills. And, yeah, no, Trump— I, they, He's never gotten it. Never gotten it. And it's four decades. And mm-hmm. so it's a club that would not have him as a member. And the White House is his consolation prize and right. he is heckling. Yeah. So They still won't let him in, right? Well, no, but he's in their heads. Yeah. I mean, like, so they can't explain, escape so what, so what he's done now, talk about what happened. It's like Most a, people know, the kneeling. The kneeling thing. He, uh, President Trump has an eye for— Wedge issues. He has mm-hmm. an, uh, something that will rile up the base. There is, there are very few. I mean, the base loves football. The base hates the idea of you know players, me and most of them African American, protesting the mm-hmm. national anthem. I mean, it's just a perfect Trumpian issue. I mean, it's like 
Colin Kaepernick, the you know the vegan quarterback with a big afro with a San Francisco uniform. I mean, if like the gods of like right. base tropes didn't, right. ex- yeah. you know, <laughs> did, they'd have to invent him, base right? Tropes. I mean, and so you know, the vegan be transgender was, that would add. Yeah, to yeah, the, yeah. I mean, I'm sure like by the time Trump, you know, yeah. finishes talking, he will be transgender. Yeah. Yeah. But so he's like a perfect sort of straw man for like the Trumpian rhetoric. I mean, mm-hmm. this permissive liberalism, but it's also. It's like football used to be so violent. Mm-hmm. Remember those hits you used to see? I mean, there's a scene in the book in, uh, in which there was this really rough game. And it was like between the Cincinnati and Pittsburgh uh, in the playoffs like a couple of years ago. And there were personal fouls and concussions and play, you know, the fans were throwing things on the field. And mm-hmm. it was one of those like sort of perverse spectacles where you just sort of tune in and you sort of say, is like the civilization going to be like broadcast live on CBS, mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. you know, from Cincinnati at yeah. 1130? And Phil Simms, the announcer, said this is a disgrace and the players were suspended. And Trump the next day at a campaign event in Reno, I think, got up and said, you know, I was watching that game last night and used to watch these beautiful, violent hits. And now you have these penalty flags being thrown. Like, there's a rule for everything. And, like, you know, football has gone soft and America's gone soft. So football, it was his, he he was positing it as the perfect parable for America. Used to be great. Used to be great. Football used used to be be great. America used to be great. Legs broken. You know what? You can wheel people out of here on a stretcher if they heckle me. I mean, it's the same principle and right. football became like a perfect sort of culture war metaphor. Which he and held on to. Which he held on to. And then, then the anthem stuff ongoing, which, by the way, was like a, a relatively small handful of players, mm-hmm. fairly contained issue. It didn't get that much attention until Trump weighed in. Then all of a sudden it became story one mm-hmm. and it sort of dominated a good part of last season. And your book. Part of my book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, Trump, did it take over? Did it? No, it didn't take over. Okay. I wouldn't let it take yeah. over. I didn't want this. So I mean, there's a lot of Trump. What impact uh, did yeah. it have? On the game, I mean, it yeah. freaked everyone out. It freaked. I mean, there's in this book, I, uh, my colleague Ken Belson and I, we got a, ta- a secret tape recording of a secret, or a private meeting between a bunch of owners and a bunch of yep. players in New York last year at the, at the height of the anthem crisis. And the takeaway just from listening to that tape, which obviously we're, we're thrilled to have listened to, mm-hmm. the league wasn't thrilled that we listened to it, and the people involved weren't thrilled. But we, we, I mean, it was very revealing to hear the level at which people are just flipped out. You have these billionaires who can just print money, mm-hmm. who, you know, are obviously are just doing great, but they're just so, you know, what's Donald going to say next? I mean, how do we stop him? How do we put a Band-Aid on this problem? Right. And you got a window into just the, the squeamishness and also the small-mindedness and the, and the short-term thinking right. that, that they respond to crises like this with. Right. And, but essentially, that issue receded. Football fans... Mm-hmm want to go back to the game. And that happened mm-hmm. in a few days. And then Mike Pence did his walkout thing yeah. from Indianapolis. Then been Trump, to a f- but football game? If he was for Mama went with him. Mo- mother went. You, you don't <laughs> I think she, Mama was there. Mother. My mother was there. Yeah. But um, no, so that happened. But but eventually they moved on to something else and the season progressed. And, you know, Super Bowl ratings were, you know, top 10 in history. It was down right. from the year before. But, you know, it survived. Um, and and so they essentially handled that. And then for some reason, Roger Goodell and the owners decided last May, hey, let's make a new rule. Mm-hmm. If you want to protest, stay in the stay in the locker room. Right. Um, and so Trump just, got a hold of that. And right. No one liked the idea. They thought it was going to be a disaster from the start. And then and now they sort of six weeks later said maybe that was a bad idea. We're still going to negotiate. So they don't have a clue what to do. They, so they, what's going to happen with that? They're going to still kneel, right? Some will, I think. But look, I mean, it's a monopoly and there probably is some kind of collusion, whether it's legal sense of the word or not. But Colin Kaepernick is an employee. Eric Reed, his teammate, who, you know, who started for five years for the 49ers, he's not employed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he kneeled with him. It's not a good career move. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Mm-hmm. And if you have a very, very short career in the NFL and you need money and you come from a you know depressed you know, socioeconomic economic background, you know, making a political statement in a, in a way that probably could cost you millions of dollars probably isn't going right. to be that high on your right. list. Right, right. So what happens? It just flames out. It could. Mm-hmm. It could. I mean, I think Trump... In there are fl- some team owners who encourage it, though, correct? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say encourage. I mean, Jerry Jones, some of the more conservative owners, like, they come out and they say, if anyone who doesn't, yeah. who doesn't have their toe on the line and, um, and, you know, salute the flag, you know, during the national anthem, will won't be playing for the Dallas Cowboys. Right. So, boom. If you're a Dallas Cowboy, it's probably a pretty risky career move to do that. Mm-hmm. Some of the other owners, um, I think Jed York in San Francisco, I think Jeff Lurie in Philadelphia, maybe... Like a Steve Tisch, who's co-owner of the New York Giants, who lives in L.A., they've said to the effect that you know 
people can do what, can do what they want. But right. we'll see. I mean, we'll see. Yeah. So what are the other dangerous things? I mean, the, for the physical, the possibly moving politics into it. Yes. Which has happened before. It's happened before. No, but never like this. I mean, right. there was like there was I mean, the 60s were pretty well walled off from, right. the, you know, the, the Super Bowl era. I mean, this was I mean, Vince Lombardi was someone that both Hubert Humphrey and Richard Nixon, you know, talked to about mm-hmm. being their running mate. I mean, right. he was that universally revered. He was a Kennedy Democrat, so, but he wasn't interested in, in either one. No, but in the early, you know, in the late 60s and in the early 70s, Up With People was playing the Super right. Bowl. I mean, right. this was just like a unifying very force, very yeah. different. This was not the America that was So is that part of it is that it's a different America, that football doesn't unify, nothing unifies anybody. Uh, there used to be a broadcast that, news. The, there could be, you know, all kinds correct. of... Correct. I mean, there's no Walter Cronkite to sort right. of like be the referee here. I, I think Roger Goodell, when I asked him about, I said, look, I mean, I sort of put the question to him. I said, 10 years ago, this was one of the most unifying, the NFL was one of the most unifying institutions in the country. Now it's probably the most polarizing, you know, certainly sports brand we have in America. Uh, what happened? And you've been commissioner 10 years. Like, do you, you know, how much responsibility do you bear? And he said defensively and self-servingly, but also probably true, he said, look, I just think that we're just more divided on everything now than we were 10 mm-hmm. years ago. And um, so I think he's right. I think it is hard. We're in a, in a place, especially when we have a president who's quick to sort of jump right into these wedges and make them as big as possible, mm-hmm. where people are, are very inclined to, to just argue over politics and sort of put the us versus them dynamic into something that, you know, might What about have... tech in terms of football? Because a lot of people talk about tech solutions that, that, that you... huge. Like I mean, helmets that could tell... Hel- they don't want to know, correct, presumably. You know, it, it is interesting. I mean, there is a lot of, you know, apparently a lot of research going into helmets, a lot of <laughs> research into sort of detection and, and so forth. My sense is that could make an impact at the margins at right. its best. I mean, football's a violent game. You're not right. going to stop it. I mean, yeah, they do. There's a new tackling, you know, safe tackling initiative where they're calling penalties or they're threatened to call penalties if you leave with your helmet. So th- there's that. And I, I do think that at this point they get it and they're trying to do things. But I think the more, the bigger, I think, technology, you know, existential issue for the league is just cord cutting. I right. mean, this is, I mean, they've gotten 60% of the revenues from TV over most mm-hmm. of their history. And the ratings are going down. You're not down. sure if Amazon and Google are going to pay for those. Correct, right? But also, I mean, people are just turning off their TV. I mean, people, right. you know, and you yeah. know this is better than anyone. So, I mean, they don't have a handle on that. And, and you, you sense there, there are some pretty smart people at the league who do spend So the big payments were by Fox and I think NBC, right? Fox, NBC, CBS, right. Um, ESPN, and I guess, let's see, I don't know who got that. Well, Fox just paid a lot for the Thursday night games. And Twitter had something last they year. They did. But they did, but I think they got rid of it. Do you imagine the tech giants will get in this? They're keeping They've kept out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, Paul Amazon Allen. Paul Allen's basically as close as you get. And he's he's sort of an absentee owner. I mean, mm-hmm. he doesn't, he, he never shows up at the league meetings. And, and you know, he's not, he's not the sort of, he doesn't fit the classic profile. I don't know. I mean, These like, guys also don't want to own the teams. No, I don't Bomber think so. owns the, they want to own basketball teams. Basketball teams, I mean, doesn't, well, I guess Oracle has their name on the Warriors. It's coming off. It's, is it coming off? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. did Larry Ellison have any stake? I don't no. think so, right? I don't so, think so. Yeah, Bomber. They don't really care to pay for those. I've talked to so many of them. They're like, we're not paying for. Right. And that, which is, you know, it's it's not unsurprising. It's also, you're so walking was, into an was the one that did this from 49ers? It wasn't a tech company. It was, was um, But I'm saying they aren't as interested. They certainly They're not. Are. No, I mean, you did. I mean, Balmer, I remember, I mean, you'd know better than me. Yeah, I mean, he, wanted to own, he wanted to own he did, Swords. But he and, looks you know, like it. And Ted Leonsis from a different generation yes, of tech absolutely. person. I mean, he comes from that background. Mm-hmm. He... You know, he left AOL and said, I want to own sports teams, yeah. and now he does. And yeah. And they won the Stanley Cup. So. No, they seem to want uh, one of the Pierre Omidyar. I was like, why didn't you ever buy a sports team? He said, oh, I like hotels. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and I was like, right? exactly. Right. And he well, owns a number of hotels. Yeah, there. and you know what? And when, and when you own a hotel, you don't have to go to a league meeting four times right. a year and deal with, like, Mark Davis and Jim Irsay and all these, right. you know, people who are your partners, essentially, yeah. right? And yeah, they'd rather own basketball teams. That's my impression, if they bought them. But besides the money coming into it, because there's plenty of rich guys that want to buy a football team, presumably, till the, oh, end, yeah, of absolutely. Time, till the end of time. Yeah. But but so the television right meaning young people are not watching it this way, in this fashion. They're not watching it this way. I mean, yeah. they're watching it on their phones, I mean, like everyone else is. I mean, and, and clips. And, yeah, correct. And I don't have any sense that the league has, like, the kinds of executives. I mean, Brian Rolap, who's their head of media, basically, uh, is a very smart guy. I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. I didn't spend that much time with him, but I was very impressed with mm-hmm. him. And there are some sort of sub-level 
I mean, sort of number twos at the various teams that I was really impressed with. Got like Jonathan Kraft, the um, the, Jonathan, uh, the number two at the New England Patriots, and Kevin Demoff at the Rams, and Rich McKay at the Falcons. I mean, these are not owners per se, but they're in the line of succession, basically. And they and, do and understand. They do, I think. And um, I don't know who else. And does. so, where does it go in a digital age? They're trying to figure that out. I don't know. My sense is they're— These deals go on for, what, 10 years? They can. Yeah. Yeah. What are they right now? A lot of them are about— Well, the big big broadcast thing, I think, ends in like three or four years from now. I mean, I think that and the collective bargaining agreement come up like within a year of each Mm -hmm. other, like in, I think, 2010 or 2020, 2011, something like that. Yeah, what was interesting is they were talking when they were talking about the rights at one point. They're like, oh, they're going to get the tech people in here. And I was like, no, you're not. They would believe me. They would. They would. They would love so, it. They want to set off. I don't. You know. I don't know if they would or not. Because the thing about Roger Goodell that I found is, and you see that again. This is very. He shows up out there all the time. He shows up out there. He. You know. He's a big Herb Allen guy. He goes. No, he never he's misses there. I've one seen, of those. I've seen Roger Goodell more times than I care to. Yeah. Think no. About. No. He wants. I mean, he's like he wants to be a master of the universe. I mean, mm-hmm. he wants to be someone who understands this or learns. You know. Mm-hmm. Who's, I mean, I. I don't. You know. Begrudge him any of that. I mean, I mm-hmm. think he tries. I do think though, that. One of his failures as a leader is that he has um, – he just hasn't picked a successor. He hasn't picked like like any number of people who could be successors. He's mm-hmm. just sort of kept some kind of weak and the same people around him. It does um, feel that it hasn't changed in a way, lot of ways than other sports. It seems like no. basketball feels very digital and so does – Oh, you know, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? It absolutely. feels smart. People who know yes. about how to get that. I don't know why. It just yes. feels like that's a sport that's of the future. Part of it, yeah, and also the global aspect. Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly. Football is not going to like take over China tomorrow. Right. I mean, you know. That apparently, you know, they're big in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, they there's talk that they might go into London in the next you know ten years or so, Mexico City possibly, mm-hmm. but it's that's sort of where they're where they hit the ceiling, right? right? And the NBA, I mean, you have like every, I mean, every, it's, it's 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 close to soccer at this point. I mean, it people is. love, you know, and the Steph players Curry. are very uh, players are very, and they're and they're very encouraged on social media. Yeah. I mean. You just sense that from the top down, that is a league that gets it. And again, speaking as a fan, I've never loved the NBA more in like in the last 10 years than yeah. I do now. Part of yeah. it is my team's getting good again. I like the Celtics. Yeah, but look at LeBron James versus Colin Kaepernick. Oh. I mean, he goes at the president. He doesn't suffer. He doesn't suffer in the league. He has his backing. They love it. It's, a, it's it. a different set of fans, a different sort of It's population. interesting. It's interesting. All right, we're talking to Mark Leibovitz. He is the author of a new book called The Big Game, The NFL in Dangerous Times. When we get back, we're going to talk more about where football goes next, and also a little bit about politics. We're here with Mark Leibovich. He's the author of a new book called The Big Game, The NFL in Dangerous Times. We've just been talking about where football's going. So I'm not kidding about robotic football. I'm totally not. Like, there was a movie with you, Jackman, if you remember. Do you imagine that ever happening, that it's not, there are mines or anything like that? I know it's crazy, but I don't Uh, know. It's crazy. It could happen. It's not crazy. It could could happen. I mean, you know, their their post-game interviews couldn't be that much different. No, exactly. I mean, it's (laughs) it's not like we're watching their personalities just sort of unfurl (laughs) before us. So, you know, maybe they could even program more. More interesting interviews. They could have more interesting games. They, they could. If you program them. Absolutely. The, the, think about it. They don't need a break. Just they like go right back to the line of scrimmage. That's program right. Program them with plays. They could be as violent as you want. And then there's been calls for robot rights, of course. You but. know, the robots, you know, it's never been safer for robots. Yeah, they, right The now. game has never But been you never see that happening. Would, what other technologies do you see? This is a technology. I would never audience. let. Would you let your robot kid play football? Um, I would let my robot kid play football. <laughs> I would say, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I don't think I'll be into the robot thing. All right. What other technologies? Stuff on their bodies. Stuff on their bodies. I mean, I think cameras, cameras, which is happening pretty fast in in a way that, you know, is very kind of I mean, futuristic because it's now, but it's fun. It's interesting. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that you can hear and see. I mean, there's there's some privacy stuff going on. I mean, I I do think what's interesting is cameras are cool. Cameras are cool. Um, and if you put them in a VR setting, you could be Tom Brady. You could. And they're, they're looking yeah. at that. There's yeah. no question they're looking at VR right. stuff. I mean, they are um, – I mean, football starts – one of the advantages of football, it's a perfect TV game. Mm-hmm. I mean, the shape of the field, right. just the pace of the action, the strategy, just you can yeah. you can see it so well on TV. And if you go into a stadium and only like 7 percent of all NFL fans have ever actually been in a stadium, mm-hmm. and you can see why. I mean, I you just don't – know what's going on. You can't change a channel during play. Right. I mean, right. but uh, it's just hard to see. It's a small ball. You don't know who has it. And if right. you're like, if you're sitting on the 10-yard line and it's all the way on the other end of the field, I mean, you know, binoculars, you're screwed. Right. So you start with that advantage and 
you know, HD is great football watching experience compared to what it was before, which mm-hmm. is which is pretty good anyway. I do think probably the biggest technological factor here is, is probably around health and safety. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said before, I think that's at the margins. I just don't think that you can invent the perfect – I mean I could be wrong, but I don't think you can invent a helmet that can protect your head from right. high-impact so crashes. So how big an impact is it going to have? Lawsuits, everything else? Lawsuits, people just not disclosing, not, playing. Yeah, yeah, but also insurance. Insurance is really hard. I mean, it's mm-hmm. really hard for youth football leagues to get insurance these days, given you know the the sort of critical mass of research that is happening. You know, obviously the the population of people willing to play it could skew much poorer, like like it did with boxing. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of analogy you hear a lot. I think football. There's a danger in making it too much like a video game. I mm-hmm. mean, we're talking like this Madden tournament and right. Jagged. I mean, it's like a perverse sort of yeah. intersection between these like really barbaric worlds, right, mm-hmm. in, in an actually horrible barbaric event. So I don't think there's a technological magic bullet at all. I think mm-hmm. the league gets that technology can help. I think they seem to be putting money into it. I just – I think they're just sort of trying to muddle through with a lot of money. Right. And where do you – so so in thinking of that because it's not an easily solved – technical problem. And also, football or any sports events are something that is live, and so it works out really... It it, it does have a certain ability to resist internet elements because live works. Correct. Where do you imagine it going, then? I imagine the game... First of all, it'll get shorter. The game right. will – it'll have to get yeah. shorter. I mean one thing Goodell I think is good at is – I mean football always assumed that they didn't have a time of game problem because you have three hours and there's a clock and unlike baseball, it can't drag on for six hours and right. 17 innings and so forth. Um, they're, they're very mindful of just speeding the thing up and they're, they're also mindful of trying to uh, monetize, which is a big word for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an old word. It's an old word but you know, because he's Roger Goodell and it's an old – private company. They think it's a new word and he has incentivized those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the yeah. 90s back there. No, I mean, it's like it's sort of a slicing and dicing right. model and it's like the, the mobile. I mean, it's the same sort of way that old media companies are trying to like... Slice you know, and dice rights, clips, right. things like that. Exactly. Yeah, they and, get on you. The NFL gets on you if you use any clips. Oh, absolutely. No, they're a very, they're a very aggressive monopoly mm-hmm. and, you know, as monopolies can be. Mm-hmm. So. And there's not so, another football league either. And in terms of personalities... Is that something that's – it seems like it is. The way tennis sort of went away, the personality. Yeah. I mean there has been in, in football for a number of years sort of like – it's been called the, the NFL the no-fun league, right? Mm-hmm. I mean they, they just sort of try to like right. take the fun. I mean, you know, I'm a Patriots fan and Bill Belichick is the most colorless, joyless sort mm-hmm. of – I mean it's like a, this monolith. I mean I said in the book I'd rather – I mean I love the team. I love that they win. I'd rather like jump into raw sewage mm-hmm. than go to work for Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. I mean not that he's asking <laughs> a 53-year-old, you know, former – football player and Pop Warner play. But if he were, I would say, no, thank you, coach. But I I do think that, yeah, I mean, you can't, there's not a LeBron James. I mean, Tom Brady is... I'm kidding, there's 20 of them in basketball. There's 20 of them in basketball. basketball, No, no, but I mean, Steph, (laughs) Adam Silver (laughs) is sort of, and and this bothers Roger Goodell. Well, we were thinking about who to bring to code this year, and we've had Adam there, and he's fantastic, and... I would love to meet him one day. I mean, he yeah. is like, he is We've someone that people he's posit, like. Oh, he's posit, smart. He's smart. He's smart. Um, he is seen Accessible. as. Yeah, I mean, he, and look, it never might still be. Never gets too excited about anything. Like, he, you know he, what I mean? Like, never gets overwhelmed. Right. And But he's also, you know, maybe it's a honeymoon. I mean, Roger Goodell was wildly popular for the first five, six years of his mm-hmm. commissionership. You know, there could be a honeymoon. But no, Adam Silver is like wildly admired, you know, mm-hmm. across, you know, not just sports, but. Yeah, you know, the corporate world, and, mm-hmm. and the players seem to like him, and the fans seem to like him. I mean, I think he's probably booed, but most I think all commissioners are generally booed. But I think he's probably booed less. So, when you think about this book and getting back into politics, how does that feel? So it's uh, you know I I'm it's tough. I mean, right. Although it's actually it's good. I mean, it's it's been. Is it, have you gotten the requisite time away from these people, or not really? Yeah, I mean, Trump, the, the whole Trump it? thing is a whole different animal. I mean, yeah. it's like I feel like I'm coming back to a not different country because I haven't left and I've yeah you know, I've been writing stories. But it's it's I had sort of thought, and someone asked me this the other day. I mean, okay, if Washington was a swamp that you wrote about five years ago, and the NFL is a swamp that you wrote mm-hmm. about now. What's the next swamp? And yeah, what is the next swamp? Well, so, you know, Silicon Valley or Hollywood, those are the first two you hear. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and Come bef- on over. I would love to. The weather, it's so I love California. Maybe one day. Yeah. Can I crash at your house? Sure. Especially when you're here. Yeah, we can, have, we can trade. Kind of it's thing. fine. I mean, it's funny because Trump is sort of his own swamp. I don't yeah. know if there – I mean, I think there are great Trump books to write. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have the stomach to ever write a book about the Trump right. swamp. But I think what's going on here in – I, I I don't know if if I could I mean maybe that's something worth into. Basically, I just need to get back to my day job and immerse right. myself in this for the next you know. But you you have the luxury of writing features. I do. So you I don't do. have to like every day. I don't, but I want to write as much as possible, and right. you know, I I do want to sort of flex those muscles again. But you work for the Times Magazine, which is I work different. for the Times Magazine. Um, I I have the uh, good fortune of being you know I work in the Washington bureau. My bosses are in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can hide. I can hide a little bit. Sure, I go to Who work. Who are you and, writing about next? Well, I had uh, I wrote about Paul Ryan two weeks ago. I wrote about football this week. Um, unclear. I actually have to talk to. Who do you think, think is interesting in politics? Where do you think this is? If it's a game, where are we in this game? I'm. I'm not. I'm trying to sort of stay away from the flavor of the month of like the Alexander. Yeah. yeah, the oh, Fort- a card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like you know, it's like in this guy in Florida, Gillum. You know, yeah. a, uh, um, I, I think. You know, Elizabeth Warren is someone everyone talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, Cory Booker is someone a lot of people talk about. I think Mitt Romney will be really interesting again, believe it or not. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> if he wins the Senate seat, I don't think he's winning the Senate seat just to sort of do something for six years. I think yeah. that he has some pretty strong views about where the party's going. Uh-huh. And I don't know if he is going to make himself an irritant. Make it. But I can't believe I'm sitting here in 2018 yeah. saying Mitt yeah. Romney could be interesting. Uh-huh. I don't remember. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable statement. I can't believe I ever said that. And I'll probably deny it one day. So. <laughs> we have it on tape. We have it on tape. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think both parties are at this major crossroads and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we'll blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah, blah. How's that working at the New York Times doing that? Uh, it's the pretty wild. I mean, the fake news. The, yeah, Wait, the is failing fake? New York failing, Times. I'm sorry. Times. It's a fake yeah, CNN. I mean, we're doing great. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it was a little perverse to sort of go to work every day and sit amidst all these White House reporters and, you know, have Maggie Haberman over here and Peter yeah. Baker over here and uh, Julie Davis over here and just like, you know, they're in the middle of it. And I, because I'm an idiot, like, do not like want to write my book at home because I just like to be in the middle of a newsroom. Right. And, um, you yeah, know, it just sort of works for me. And I did it, but it was really hard. And yeah. I felt like... Watching it. Like, watching, before yeah, a long it's fire. like I'm in this, yeah, it's the circus and I, I, I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of the circus and I can't perform. You yeah, know? I, that's and, True. So, Although, oh my God, the, your, your, the TV show, which I, which I watched before I started writing for the Times, the oh, this day. Oh, you know what? I love you, that. It's a, it's it's good. Are you right? in it? I can't remember. I am, Were you I'm wand- in there. I, think you I had a couple of cameos. My yeah. desk is right there. I remember yeah, said to, I said to um, Maggie, she had been on the phone with the president, and mm-hmm. and the president who said, wasn't talking to her. Right? Well, no, yeah, exactly. No, no, it was the day I think um, healthcare went down, mm-hmm. and or maybe the first time. Whatever. It went down, whatever. He um, and I think Maggie said, "Mr. President, are you going to put this? Are you going to go back at this yeah, you know, after recess?" And she said, "No, no, no, I've had enough." Yeah. And I and then she said, "You've had enough." And so she hangs up, and I yelled, "There's your kicker! Yeah. No, that's enough!" Or something, whatever it was yeah. that Trump said. And so yeah. I was being like all workshoppy, Helpful. good colleague. Yeah, I'm sure she really appreciated. It. I'm sure if you go back to the story in question, oh, that's exactly how it ended. All but I yeah, kept that thinking was that was an interesting show, only because it was like it was a lot of guys, a lot mostly of guys. white guys, wandering around, and they. All were named Michael, and they kept gaining weight. And Trump kept winning. And then Maggie would wander in and say something pithy, and then wander out. And I that's was like, all t- "Which Mike is talking now?" That's like, true. There was an abundance of mics. There's mics, there? and they're all g- literally gaining weight throughout the entire part. And like literally, tr- and every time they gain weight, Trump wins another thing. And I so know, it's, right? It's very, and he gained weight too. It yeah, was. Um, it was a very uh, interesting show. It's funny. Every sports writer I met was named Ryan. Well, do you feel like a sports writer no. as a pol- political writer? Because sometimes. Yeah, Oh, there's a lot of overlap. There's a ton of overlap. Yeah. I mean, I guess there was um, uh, someone point, dug up a thing from Boys in the Bus saying, yeah, we're all sports writers. I mean, look, yeah. it's uh, – you can do this. It's not – I mean, politics is not that complicated. Should sports it change the way we cover politics and sports in a lot of ways? The way we do it is on such a, like, reactive basis. Yeah. I mean, that's – Nobody saw the damage stuff for decades. Nobody saw that. Yeah. And, and when it was brought up, Paul Tagliabue, the commissioner at the time, said that's just packed journalism. And, right. and one thing you do learn – in you know when you have covered politics and been in Washington for a while, is we make huge mistakes. Right. I mean, we, huge macro mistakes. Like America is not ready for an African American president. Mm-hmm. America will never ever elect Donald Trump. It's mm-hmm. just like it's just not even going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we we make that mistake or mistakes on that level and on of that you know magnitude like on a regular basis. And that's. Just, you know, it's a circular sort of group think that, mm-hmm. that prevails in every bubble sort of 
industry. Now, with sports, it's different because you actually are dealing with numbers on a scoreboard. You're dealing with mm-hmm. a much more formulaic set of right and wrong and good and bad and success and failure. And in that sense, it's a much more black and white world, so it's easier to cover. Um, and also, you know, the, the real-life ramifications, unless you're gambling on the games or unless you're you know, getting brain damage at the games, it's mm-hmm. not going to really add up very much. Mm-hmm. No, but I think that one of the things you do, no matter what you're covering, and that's been true with me, is you, you just got to try to step outside the bubble as often as possible. Yeah. I don't mind people, you know, when I'm in the middle of a group of reporters, people not knowing what, like, what I'm, where I'm coming from or what, right. I, what I'm about. And that's, you know, I know these people here and I think they still, I would hope that they still think that about me because... I, you know, I, I think that it's really, really important to try to make yourself as much of an outsider Absolutely. as possible, no matter yeah. where you are, no matter how much of an insider you are. Yeah. You know, my goal in writing this NFL book was not to be invited to Commissioner Goodell's Super Bowl party next right. year. Um, right. Saying no. Yeah, exactly. I got in the last couple of years. I got, you know, I got a lot of work done. And um, but no, I've, I've seen that. And they don't, I, you don't I, think they're going to invite you? I could probably get in. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting to see. Well, what's interesting about the the initial feedback of the book is like there's little shit storms like in New England Mm -hmm. or Dallas and Atlanta or, you know, places. Oh, within the local sports. Yeah, because they they focus on the things in the book that their owner said or so-and-so said. And it's like, oh, this is a thing. And then they ask them about it. It's um, it's going to be good. I hope so. Yeah, yeah of course. It's Come been, on. Uh, so far, it's fun. You know what? They're going to let you in. I'm sorry to tell you. I, I wrote. I wrote. Go back I know, in. but you know, I, I wrote like, some main column about Facebook, and they yelled at me on Thursday. And by Saturday, they're like, "Hey, girl, they so, need you, Kara. <laughs> they no, they need you. You, you don't. I mean, <laughs> look, like they need you a lot more teeth. than you need them. Well, I've got them trained. You don't have your political people. trained. I don't have them trained. Oh, the political people. Yeah. I mean, that's my word. I'd Look, love, I'm going to come and cover politics. You should totally. I'll tell you what. We should do like a job swap. We should. We will do a job swap. We should because I would. I would like that. We need you. It would be so we fascinating. Need a Karis. Yeah. I was actually, it's funny, I was talking to a columnist in Boston today who asked me, because I spent a fair amount of time up around the Patriots, and he said, what do you think of the Patriots media cabal? Uh-huh. Like, you know, the yeah, sort of, like, sure. he thinks it's, like, too friendly and they yeah. let them get away with Agreed. too much. And it's true of every team. It's not yeah. just them, and it's not just, you know, sports writers. But I, I also said, look, I mean, if I were, like, the 25-year-old guy whose boss wanted me to make sure I knew what Devin McCourty's lower, whether it was a lower leg injury or a Mm -hmm. calf injury or a knee injury, if that were my job for the day, you think I'm going to stand in that coaching press conference and like be a shit stirrer and like have everyone give me the stink eye? Yeah. No, I mean, part of it's like... Some of it's just information. Yeah. And I didn't want to be like the guy who just sort of swoops in and like Bigfoots all the the, the local sports writers. I mean, I I have tremendous respect for the kind of, you know, for the work that, you know, working reporters do. And, you know, we're all different kinds of working reporters. So I think it's important, but I do think that I think any reporter, no matter what your job is or what your daily mission is, is to try to think as much like an outsider as possible. Absolutely. I'm going to give you a last question player and owner who did you like and who did you just not like i can tell oh player and oh so both categories both categories love tom brady sorry mm-hmm. i'm a fanboy so and i'm extremely uh, that was a sham and you can read all about all right it. no no totally yeah i mean look i like the players are my favorite group of the whole so tom brady like tom Why? brady i don't just because he's um He's brilliant. I mean, he's like not brilliant about, you know, talking about like politics or, but you sort of watch him watching game film. And and at one point there's this Facebook documentary of him, like this guy Gotham Chopra made that ran on Facebook live, like in six parts last year. And Tom was just sort of looking at game film and he gets on the phone. He says to his offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniel, go to like real three preseason games, Cincinnati 2012, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And he's just sort of staring at it. And he's like, you know, I could just watch this and hours could pass. And I would not, I wouldn't even know. It could be like two mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning. I wouldn't know any time had passed. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me a lot of just the coders that you mm-hmm. would sometimes so see watching late movies. at night. And it's like, you do see the level of genius unfolding in a realm that I could never appreciate. Yeah. Just like I couldn't. He's a pretty you know, good appreciate. player from what I'm told. What's that? He's a pretty good player. He's a pretty good player. Yeah. Um, you know, Jerry Jones is, um, he's a rascal. I'm sort of biased towards people who are, you know, fun and who let you in and who don't really give a fuck. Um, he doesn't give a fuck. And he doesn't. And he's he's a complicated character and he's not necessarily a benign character. But mm-hmm. he was fun. Steve Tisch, well, co-owner of the Giants, fun guy. Yeah. Also, he, there was a story where he, he was the producer of Forrest Gump and Lots won an Oscar things. for that. And he's, you know, he's, he's like the, the only person in the world on the planet who 
has an Academy Award and a Super Bowl trophy. And I was fact-checking at the end. And I said, Steve, is it true that you're the only person in the world who has an Academy Award and a Super Bowl trophy? He goes, no, it's not true. I have an Academy Award and two Super Bowl trophies, oh. <laughs> asshole. So I, I said, I'm quoting you on that, and asshole will be in there. Perfect, so, perfect. And yeah. not like? Come on. Daniel Snyder, mm-hmm. our, our hometown Washington Redskins. And why? You know, he's just a he just sort of uh, price gouges. He's he's just he runs off really good coaches. He makes a lot of people around here really struggle to root for the home team. I think Dan Snyder is someone that is something someone that Democrats and Republicans, it's a rare piece of agreement, can can sort of agree <laughs> on. Um, no, I mean Dan Snyder is uh, he's you know maybe it's perception, but he he has owned the team for almost twenty years. They haven't won anything, but he's also he just doesn't seem like he's made a lot of friends. All right. So. Players you don't like? You like them all? Look, I like players. I mean, okay. I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not that because I'm like a fanboy. I just yeah. think that of the group of people, I mean, they work so hard. What about the, coaches? You know, I, Sean McVay, a coach of the LA Rams, seems mm-hmm. great. Really cool, innovative guy. Belichick is, is fascinating. I mean, I, again, I wouldn't want to have a beer with him, and he wouldn't want to have a beer with me. But, um, you know, I mean, he's a great leader. He's someone who's just had amazing amounts of success. And... Who is it? He's a free thinker. I mean, he, you know, you could argue. I mean, I remember Jim Brown, the Hall of Fame running back. Um, he, he brought Belichick quietly to go visit a bunch of prisoners from this mm-hmm. foundation that Brown has. And he compared Belichick to Bill Russell, the great Boston Celtics center, who was like this great social you yeah. know, social justice guy in the 60s and 70s. And he said, you know, Bill Belichick's a free thinker. And then, as it turned out, Bill Belichick's free thinking extended to supporting Donald Trump in the 2016 election, which was a bit jarring for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. He wrote him a letter, and I guess that's true too. So free thinking has a lot of um, it does. has a lot of contours. But in football, I mean, he's a very innovative, outside the box thinker, and has, despite being steeped in the game for for many many decades. So I would say him. Um, let's see, uh, Mike Tomlin of Pittsburgh seems like kind of a cool guy. Anyway, yeah. Put it this way: all of them would be really smart to cut me really early on. <laughs> I don't think you have a chance. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to. You're going to have to do it vicariously. Correct. Right. I want a big signing bonus, though, and I have to keep it. Mark, I want you to do a Newt Gingrich profile. You do? Yes, I do. What, what is this like? 1994. I just want you to. I want Mark Leibovich on Mark. I'm just uh, saying, Newt? just an idea. Is that like okay? Assignment editor. I'm just telling. Has you. weighed in. You're Newt. Okay. Or Look. Giuliani. Either one. Both of them. Giuliani's more. We call it the goblins. Anyway, you're welcome. <laughs> That's a free story idea. Thank anyway, you, Mark Leibovich, thank you so much. He's a New York Times writer, but is the author, more importantly, of a new book called The Big Game The NFL in Dangerous Times. I do not even like football, and I enjoyed it. Mostly awesome. because of his amazing writing. Thank and you, I Carl. still do want you to write another political book. I really hope you wrote a sequel to um, this. It might happen. All right. But you should. You, don't think, you think the Valley can wait? Oh, you want to come to the Valley? Maybe just for, I don't know. That people, people do it. Just like, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk line. later. All right. If you'd like, please come. More good writers. Here's the problem. When I was a tech writer and a business writer, when I was a tech and business writer, mm-hmm. I never really could understand tech or business. Now you do. So, no, I certainly don't now. I mean, and David Ignatius sort of realized this, and he was like, you know, it's like when you have like a head injury, mm-hmm. your brain makes new pathways. Right. It's like, oh, okay, now I'm focusing on the culture of yeah. the companies yeah. and the people. Well, they've moved into politics. They'll be here next week. It, so you'll see them. It, exactly, so, right? Yes, it all converges. It has moved converged. deeply into politics. Thank you so much, Mark. Great Thank you for here, coming bro. on the show, Thanks. and good luck with the book. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you didn't like the interview, I do not care. <laughs> if you just want to say hi or tweet at me, I'm at Kara Swisher on Twitter. Recently, James Woods has been tweeting at me, and I'm so excited about that. Now that you're done with this, speaking of politics, go check out the latest episode of Recode Media. You can find that show wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode, and thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. Tune in then.